one tribe. It's so awesome to be here. Uh, I'm a huge fan from afar, and um, it's a huge privilege to be here. Thank you to the leaders for inviting me to be a part of what God is doing here. And I know that God is stirring something magnificent in this pot. Amen? Amen. And so, um, since the spirit of the provoker is upon me, um, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you come into our lives and you transform us. And so, Lord, we say, here we are, change us. We give you permission, Lord, to do whatever you want to do in our lives. And the people of God said, amen, amen and amen. I'd like to introduce my family to you. Uh, you've met my younger brother, Mbunisi, and his wife, Tashinka, and his kids. But I'd like to introduce to you my wife, Amy, and our kids. Um, we've been married for 13 years now, 13 wonderful, beautiful years. And uh, I think there'll be a picture, oh, wonderful, miss, make me miss home. And, you know, the amazing thing is that God works in time and timing. Can you say time and timing? Time and timing. So I was single for a very long time. And uh, I remember attending Bonisi and Tashinga's wedding single. And they gave me the horrible task of driving them to their honeymoon destination. And I remember leaving them at that wonderful uh, love nest in tears, thinking, but God, when? When is it my turn? I, I'm one or two years older than my younger brother. And, uh, <laughs> okay, five. Um, and, and I was desperate. I said, God, you know, is this ever going to happen? And um, at the time, I was uh, planting a church in Johannesburg, and a friend from Grahamstown that I'd known for 10 years said, hey, I feel God has called me to come help you. And I was like, well, we've been friends for 10 years. Nothing's going to happen. Time and timing. So um, after a few years of working together, the scales fell from our eyes. And we've been married now for 13 wonderful, glorious years. And uh, what took 12 years before we got married uh, when timing happened, took six months between going out and the altar. Amen. Amen. Time and timing. And so I'd like to speak to all the singles in the house. Do we have singles here? Yeah. One or, you're not single. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle, just check on that guy. Um, <laughs> I'd like to say to all the singles in the house, there's hope for the friend zone. Amen. Time and timing. My wife Amy uh, struggled with an autoimmune condition for many years. When we were preparing to get married, all the medical experts told us that we would not be able to have kids. She has struggled with this condition for over 25 years by the time we got married. Everyone say time and timing. And even though she had struggled for a very long time, we got married and started doing married things. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And six weeks later, we discovered we were expecting Bambino number one. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know how long you've been struggling with it. 
But I've got news for you this morning. God works in time and timing. And who knows, today might be your time for a breakthrough. Amen. This morning I want to talk about a passion for souls. A passion for souls. The goal of any preaching is that we would be more like Jesus. Amen? And I love hearing people preach and they start off their messages extolling the Scriptures, the inerrancy of Scripture, the infallibility of the Word of God and all that wonderful stuff. And they hold up their Bibles and they say, I love my Bible. And everyone repeats. Now, I struggle with my Bible. I love the Word of God, but I struggle with my Bible. Because as I read the Bible, God is asking me to do things I don't want to do. Amen? Is it just me? Maybe it's just in Joburg. But as we read through the Bible, it's our love for God that allows us to obey God. Amen? And the goal of our Christian life is to become more and more and more like Jesus. Are you going to allow God to move in your life today? Are you going to allow Him to, to mess with you a little bit? With your paradigm? Are you going to allow Him to provoke you to become more like Christ? John chapter 8. If you are with paper Bibles, turn there. If you're with digital Bibles, go there, and we bind Facebook and Instagram and TikTok in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to dive into this passage of Scripture and have a look at the life of Jesus and how Jesus helped a group of people to have a passion for souls. So, John chapter 8, a well-known passage of Scripture. Are you there? Let's pick it up in verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, now Jesus was preaching a sermon in a temple. There were church folk there. And they interrupt the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, in the middle of the second sermon on the mount. That's why we didn't get it. With this breaking news, there's a woman caught in adultery. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law Moses commanded us in the law to stone such a woman. So, what do you say? This they said to test him, that they may have some charge to bring against him. Okay, Jesus is bending down. Woman comes in, scribes and Pharisees, they're making a fuss, and Jesus bends down. He starts writing something on the ground. And don't worry, this is not the sermon about what Jesus wrote on the ground because no one knows what he wrote on the ground, okay? And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And at once, and once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones 
and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they that condemn you? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So there are a couple of things we learn from the scripture about a passion for souls. In fact, the first people we're going to learn from are the scribes and Pharisees. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees do something right for a change. They go where lost people are. Wow. The scribes and the Pharisees were way ahead from some of us. Amen. They go where lost people are. So we see the scribes and the Pharisees going to where a woman was in the act of adultery. Often we ask the question, what comes first? A passion for souls, this emotion and this fire burning for souls or going into the harvest? And as we go into the harvest, we're ignited with a passion for souls. Which comes first? The going or the feelings? And I want to tell you this morning that I love so much what Lily was sharing. Because as she went to the Hindu temple, what happened? A passion for that community was stirred up in her heart. It's the going that ignites a passion in our heart. So the first point this morning is the first passion igniter is go where people are. Amen. So I want to encourage you this morning, go where lost people are. Woo! There's no amen in the house. It's okay. So the scribes and the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Jesus, this woman is caught in sin. I remember the first time that I went out to share the gospel. Can I tell you that story quickly? So I'm a university student, newly born again, fresh. Okay. I recently recommitted my life to the Lord. Fresh. And at our church, they said, who wants to learn how to share the gospel? And I was like, oh, what's going to be happening? Oh, no, no, you know, we're going to spend time. We're going to go through scriptures together. Uh, come along. It's going to be fun. And I was like, oh, Bible study. I like Bible study. So I went along Monday nights. And as we started to go through the training, I was taking great notes I was looking up all the verses. In fact, most of them I knew already. And I was like, man, this is really good. And as the meeting ended, they say, right, we're done with the training. And I was like, great. Early night, I closed my Bible. I started heading for the door. And do you know what happened next? They said, where are you going? We're not done. We're now going to put into practice what we just learned. And I was like, well, what, what do you mean uh, we're going out? No, we're going to go door to door on the university reses and we're going to ask people if they know Jesus. We're going to like go through this training. Exactly what we did here, we're going to go and put into practice. And I sank on the inside of me. I was like, oh my goodness, what have I got myself into? And I was thinking, what if I knock on the door of someone who saw me in the club on Saturday night. I mean, because in those days we were busting our moves, right? 
People knew us. We had those like, you know, cool dance moves and, you know, MC Hammer. You guys don't even know what MC Hammer is. Anyway. Okay, we got to sit in the house. Amen. And, and, and I was concerned, like, what's going to happen when I get to one of these doors? And I, I determined in my heart, I'm leaving this place now. So the lady I was having this conversation with looked me in the eyes and said, Timber, are you ashamed of the gospel? Oh, man. <laughs> in my heart, I said, yes. But out my mouth came, no. And so we went out to Corey Matthews, Rose University campus, knocked on a door in one of the reses. And a guy opens the door. And inside, he has painted the walls of his room black. He's, he's got black <laughs> linen on his bed and he's got candles burning in his room. And I was like, oh my goodness. What have we got ourselves into? We sat, we shared the gospel with this guy. And you know what happened? He did not give his life to the Lord. But as I sat there praying, I realized that there are people on this campus who are going to hell and I better do something about it. And a passion was ignited in my heart to go and share the gospel with whoever will hear it. A few months down the line, I was now in charge of taking other people out. Something I did for the next seven years straight. What started first? The feelings, the emotions. No, I didn't want to go. But when you go, going changes you. Amen, Lily. So they bring a this woman caught in adultery. And they say, in the law of Moses, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Jesus, what do you think? Are you greater than Moses? What, what do you think? I think the second passion igniter is when we own up to how we view people around us. I'm talking about people who are sinning, people who are doing the stuff that makes us quiver. When we own up to our emotions and thoughts about the people around us, that's when we start to change. The scribes and the Pharisees represent the law. They represent the law. It is written, what you're doing is wrong. It's wrong. You know, the Bible tells us about a lot of things that are wrong. Lying stealing. Amen. And the Bible tells us of a plethora of issues that we can look into anyone's life and see they don't line up with the Word of God, right? But the question is, are we going to deal with people according to the law or is there another standard? That was the Pharisee's question, is there another standard? Are we going to deal with people according to the law or is there another standard? So let's think about the law for a moment. The law points out our faults. When you read in Romans chapter 7, chapter 6, 7, 8, this is what the Bible says about the law. The law points out our faults. 
then Paul says, no, no, but the law is good. Don't get me wrong. The law is good because we would not have known sin if it was not for the law. So the law is good. The only problem with the law is that the law has no solution apart from our own effort to get free from sin. All the law can do is be a policeman to say, you've blown it today. Then Paul carries on and says, but the problem with there being law is that it stirs up the sin nature in us. Have you ever seen that sign that says, do not walk on the grass? What happens in your heart when you see that sign? Like, how close to the grass should I not walk? How many steps on the grass should I not take? There's something about a law that stirs up the sin nature in us. Amen? Now, for those unbelievers out there, when you're driving on the highway and there's a speed limit that comes up, what happens in your heart? The law stirs up the sin nature. So, under the law, this leads to more self-effort to get right with God. So we try harder. I've messed up. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder to break myself free. But the problem with it is that God's standard is perfection. Oh, man. It's not even getting mostly right. It's not even like, you know, being just there. It is perfection. That is God's standard under the law. So Paul says this, that the, poor, that the law points us to the fact that we are totally inadequate to fix ourselves by ourselves. The law points us to the fact that we need a savior. How do you view people? Do you view them according to what's wrong with them? Or is there another standard that can be applied? In verse 5, they carried on and said, And the Lord Moses commanded to stone such a woman. Now, Jesus, what do you think? The third passion igniter is to know what Jesus says about people. How does Jesus view people who are lost and caught in sin? Have you ever been caught in sin? Have you ever been caught in problems? Have you ever been caught in your own issues? Have you ever been caught? Well, listen up about how Jesus views you. John 3 verse 17, Jesus put it this way. He said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, the law, under the law, all we have is a reflection of the fact that we don't measure up and we need help. But Jesus said that I didn't come to just say, you don't measure up, you don't measure up, you don't measure up, but I came to put my hand out and to save you and to rescue you and to pull you out of the situation that you're in. Jesus, what do you think about people? 
So now we're getting into the habits during the university years of going out and sharing the gospel and seeing people get saved and some were coming to the church. It was awesome. Then I'd go home on holiday. And during the holiday, I was like saying to my friends, we have got to go and share the gospel. We have got to reach Bulawayo for Jesus. And so my friends said, yeah, Temba, let's do it. Where should we go? And one of my friends said, the problem with this city is the prostitutes. And we looked at each other and went, yeah, those prostitutes. Oh, those prostitutes. So we jumped into my dad's van and we drove to Borough Street in Bulawayo. And uh, as we got there, we thought, where should we park? Okay, let's not park in an obvious place because people might think we're there for business. So we parked around the corner. The three of us jumped out the van and we looked for the first prostitute we could find. Oh, and then we found her. We went and we shared the gospel with her. And she said, I want to receive Jesus Christ. We prayed with her. She received Jesus Christ. And we felt so good that we were cleaning up this town. And so we started to do the follow-up process. And we said, sorry, tell me, what's your name? And she said, my name is Precious. Wow. Wow. It was a moment where God broke into our hypocrisy, into our religion, and opened our eyes to the value of people. We saw her as a prostitute. God saw her as precious. When you look at the people in your world, what labels have you given them? Sometimes we treat people who sin like lepers, unclean, unclean. Do not come near me. You will stain my holiness. But Jesus sees them as precious. Verse 7. And as they continued to ask Jesus this question, he stood up and said to him, to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard this, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. The fourth passion igniter is understanding that everyone needs mercy, including me. Everyone needs mercy, including me. The word mercy is a powerful word. The word mercy means the judgment you deserve for the things you did wrong. You no longer have that judgment. You receive a pardon. So, so it's just like when you're, when you're driving down the highway and you, you, you stop by the police roadblock. And the police have a look. They do an inspection of your vehicle. And they find that one of your tires is smooth and bald. And, and, and you know, there's no way around it. It's bald. You're going to get a fine. But they look you in the eye and they say, Bonisi, you're free to go. 
That's mercy. That's mercy. And whatever Jesus wrote down on the ground revealed the fact that every single one of them, the penny dropped. That just like I need a break, she needs a break. When's the last time you gave someone a break? I'm talking about that friend of yours who's a drunkard. I'm talking about that family member of yours who can't stop sleeping around. I'm talking about the person who's on drugs. I'm talking about the person at work who's slacking off, who's always not delivering a product that is right. When's the last time you gave someone a break? Because we all need a break. We all need mercy. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person you meet needs to encounter the mercy of God. I want to tell you a story. We, beginning of COVID, were renting a world-class theater in Johannesburg. Beautiful, beautiful. Right, love, walk, see you. Beautiful theater, beautiful. And one Sunday morning, we arrive for church. We're putting things up and, and there's an issue. The floors are sticky in the venue. So I call the manager and I'm like, the floors are sticky. Please deal with this. The next week, we come for church. Guess what? The floors are sticky. And as senior pastor in charge of the congregation, I had every right because we're paying so much money every Sunday to give him the gears. Every right. But I said, you know what? I understand you guys are trying. Um, you'll get it right next week. COVID happens a few months later. Theater closes. In March this year, the guy calls me a year later and he says, hey, I'd like to get married. Could you do my wedding for me? I said, sure, I'd love to do your wedding. We had the privilege of leading him and his wife back to faith in Christ because we'd given them mercy when they most needed it. Who are you going to give mercy to today? Maybe some of you need a mercy list. Amen? Maybe some of you, you've been so scribe and Pharisee in your world, you actually need like, you know, a whole name book. Amen? Let's be a people who give mercy. Let's look at a couple more of these. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one there but the woman, he said, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Oh, man. I love the fact that Jesus viewed this woman so powerfully that she encountered the good news right there. That was the gospel. Passion igniter number five is when we learn to proclaim the good news about people and not just the bad news about them. It's like a coin. There are two sides to every coin, right? 
Chol doesn't translate into M-Pesa, sorry. But there used to be these things called coins that, you know, countries around the world still use. And one side of the coin is heads. And the other side of the coin is tails. And we've got a choice. Either we're going to tell people the good news of what they can become in God, heads. Or we can be the people who go around telling people what's wrong with them, tails. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? Because how we present ourselves in the world will make all the difference. But Timber, you mean this woman got off scot-free? You, you mean, you mean, what are you preaching here this morning? Are you saying that we should like go and like be, be involved in adultery and then like, you know, we'll be free? Jesus will say, hey, it's cool, don't worry. Is that what you're saying? Listen closely. Listen closely. This is going to be so liberating. Are you listening? Jesus said, go and sin no more. (laughs) Go and sin. It wasn't letting her off the hook. It was a new paradigm shift for her. She now had power to say no to the very thing that held her captive before. Something happened on the inside of her. Neither do I condemn you. You know why Jesus doesn't condemn people? Because he stood condemned before Pontius Pilate, condemned to die. He stood condemned. He took our place of condemnation so that we can receive the mercy and the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God. Who wants the grace, the mercy, the grace, the love and the forgiveness of God? Who wants it? We all do. Amen. It's so good, so refreshing. Let's not keep it to ourselves. Amen. Now, as I was reading this passage, I was thinking, man, this is a lot of fuss over one person, right? I mean, they stopped the church meeting. They, they like, you know, stop prayers, like for one person. I mean, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, do you mind we're writing the Bible? We're like, you know, doing important stuff here. The chosen's going to come out. They need like material for future seasons. Police. And as I was thinking about this, I realized that Jesus was showing us through this story that one person matters. One person matters. This woman, she matters. One person matters. In fact, in Luke chapter 15, it says, I tell you that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous persons who've got no need to repent. More joy over one person who repents. One person matters to God. You know, sometimes when we hear about going and sharing our faith, We get lost and overwhelmed with the number of people out there. But what would happen if we just focused on the one? The one who's in front of us, the one who is at work with us, the one who might be a family member, a friend that's backslidden. What if we focused on the one? Because one is important to God. 
As I think about that scene, I wonder, why didn't Jesus just wait and postpone it till the end of the meeting? Yeah, sure, one person is important, but what else? I realized that there was a window of opportunity for Jesus to stop this woman from being stoned by the men. There was a window of opportunity. If he had put it off and said, come back tomorrow, it would have been too late for that woman. Jesus had a sense of urgency. And the next passion igniter is living with a realization that every person has a window of opportunity. There's a window of opportunity. There's a door that opens, a moment when we can actually interact with someone and make a change in their lives for time and eternity. I remember back to my university days where zealous were reaching people for Christ. We're doing the stuff, guys. We're, I mean, if you could see in the spirit, there were flames of fire on our heads. I mean, we were like, you know, we were going wild for Jesus. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget. One year during orientation week, which is the, the week where the first years, the freshers, come and they're orientated. The reality is that they're disorientated. And as we were going and sharing the gospel, the Lord kept prodding me. You see that guy over there, share the gospel with him. And I'm like, Lord, he's on my radar. I will come and share the gospel with him. No problem. Lord, I've just got to reach these people, organize these teams, do this stuff. I will get to him. One day, two days, three days, four days. I keep seeing this guy all over the place, over and over and over again. I'm like, yes, Lord, on my radar, on my radar. I see him. I'll get to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll get to him. That guy didn't make it out of Freshers Week. They went to the beach as first-year students. They'd been drinking, and he drowned. There's a window. There's a window of opportunity in people's lives to reach them. And I want to implore you, have compassion. Uh, more than our comfort zone, more than, more than our desire to not evangelize, there's a window of opportunity for all of eternity in people's lives. May we not go to heaven and say, God, I didn't take that opportunity because I was too self-absorbed. Oh God, help us. Oh God, help us. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2. When is the right time for someone to get saved? Is it tomorrow? Is it the next day? No, the Bible says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. But behold, now is the favorable time of the Lord. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When does God want to extend his favor and mercy in people's lives? Now. He wants to do that now. When is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow, three months, four months. It's now. It's now. I, I preached this message in Pretoria. And one of the people who was listening uh, went to the break straight afterwards. I had other stuff I was training in. She went to the break 
picked up the phone and phoned someone and said, I want you to know that God loves you and it's time for you to come back to him. It's time for you to repent and get right with God. She didn't get it all flowery and all right. But that person on the phone responded and said, you're right. And I want to pray. Help me to pray right now. Guys, what would happen if we lived our lives with a sense of gospel urgency? You'll be surprised what God does in and through your life. There's time and timing. Oh, but they've been lost for so long. There's time. But there's timing. And for some people in your world, the day of salvation is today. If you're here this morning and you're far from God, Maybe you're not even a Christian yet. Today is your day. This passion for souls is the passion that God has for your life. And today, He wants to save you. Today, He wants you to get rid of the weight you've been carrying. Today, He wants you to be liberated from the sin you've been caught up in. Today is your day. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence that's so evidently here. And before I pray for anything else, if you're far from God and you're saying, you know, I want to become a child of God. It'll be my honor and my privilege to pray with you. Maybe you were a Christian and living a Christian life, but then you've backslidden. You've gone far from the Father's house. This is your time. This is your day. Today's the day to return to the love of the Father. Today is your day to be free. Don't let it wait another minute. If you're in any of those categories I've mentioned, and you say, Timber, please pray for me. Can I ask you to put your hand up where you are? I'd love to pray with you to return to the love of the Father, to become a child of God. Is there anyone here? You say, Timber, help me. I want to pray. You know, if you're too shy to put up your hand, that's okay. Come and speak to me straight after the service. It's not about trying to create a moment. It's about your life, and we're here for you. Church, I pray I've provoked you this morning. I pray I've provoked you to do something about what you've heard. And if you've been stirred and you say, you know, Timber, I don't like evangelism. I don't want to evangelize, but I'm willing. I'd love, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for boldness in your life. I'd love to pray for the grace of God that as you go out, you would see people return to Christ or maybe become born again for the very first time. It's not about you, but it is about your obedience. If you're here and you say, Timber, that's me. I want to give it a shot. Can I ask you to stand up? I'd love to pray with you this morning.
Say, that's me. I'm saying, God, use me. Use me to reach and touch people in my world. And if you're not ready, that's okay. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray right now for these amazing men and women. I ask, Lord, for your hand of grace to be on them. I'm asking, Lord, that you'd give them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to lead people back to you, to bring your kids home from every place, from every part of society, from every strata of life, from every tribe to return to you. Thank you, Father, for fresh grace to share the gospel. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.